Welcome to This Week in Sustainability from Sustainable Business Australia. I'm your host, Andrew Woodward. This Week in Sustainability is a snapshot of global and Australian market trends, news and research about the path to sustainability through action on sustainable development and climate change. Each week, Sustainable Business Australia Chief Executive Andrew Peterson will take us through the week that was with analysis, insights and implications for business. We'll do all of this through the lens of the Sustainable Development Goals. And it's another busy week when it comes to sustainability right across the world, but we're going to start this week with a discussion about some very interesting things that are happening here in Australia. In 2016, uh, Dr. Ken Henry gave the... uh, Fiona Wayne oration for Sustainable Business Australia, talking about how he sees the sustainability issue. And Andrew, he's back in the news again this week on the same subject. Indeed he is, Andrew. And um, just harking back to uh, his oration he gave in 2016, at that time he was talking about the the value of Australia's natural capital or our, our biosystem our, and, and ecosystem Uh, more broadly in the role that business and finance has in understanding the value that it creates for business um, value in Australia. This time, though, he's taking a a much broader uh, view and talking about how the business leaders of Australia need to take up the job of breaking down the public's perception and a negative perception at that of corporate Australia. So as Dr Henry says, the... um, business community in Australia really needs to take a good, long, hard look at itself to break down a Australian public perception, and it's a negative one, according to him, of corporate Australia's attitude um, and perception as a cold profit maximising machine, as he puts it. And I think he's right. Uh, What he's arguing for is the need for corporate Australia to elevate its role as a driver in incomes, jobs, and interestingly, well-being. And in obviously the light of the Sustainable Development Goals playing a key strategic driver for business uh, wealth creation over the next 12 years, I think Ken's actually hit on something quite important for corporate Australia, but also for government Australia to understand how leadership takes on a very different role in the 21st century than perhaps did uh, in the 20th century. Moving on to the issue more broadly of governance and ethics uh, across Australia, and in fact, for that matter, the rest of the world, the the week was an absolute um, list of cavalcade of of conversation around um, the issues of governance. And we saw, for example, the Australian Taxation Office announcing the appointment of Dr Simon Longstaff uh, to the role of Independent Integrity Advisor. This is a first. Now, Dr Longstaff is well known to many people as the executive director of the Ethics Centre, and they just happen to be an SBA affiliate member. Um, His appointment came by the Taxation Office after the former executive Michael Cranston was committed to stand trial on two charges of abusing public office. So I think that'll be one to watch as to what that role does in terms of strengthening accountability not just by corporate Australia, uh, but also by the taxation office as well. In terms of um, other announcements, we saw the Institute of Business Ethics, a a leading international organisation, 
uh, issue a new board briefing titled Cultural Indicators and Understanding Corporate Behaviour. Now, this uh, institute report uh, reveals the results of a survey that they took on information that boards currently receive and how they consider it, and then how they report on the culture to the outside world. And a rather damning conclusion was that boards still struggle with understanding the culture of their organisations. And I think that would be certainly true uh, of Australian boards. Moving then on to other announcements, we saw the um, Investor Stewardship Group announcing that governance proposals would continue to see high levels of support as investors across the world, representing more than $22 trillion in US assets, uh, began to apply a brand new framework of corporate governance principles this year. Now, these investors include well-known investors such as BlackRock, State Street, uh, CalPERS, the Californian Pension Fund, and TIAA. And they've all now agreed that um, issues such as annual director elections uh, and requiring uh, those directors who actually fail to receive majority votes to actually resign. So uh, quite a shake up in terms of corporate governance. So moving away now from corporate governance, we're going to move to some other regulatory uh, matters uh, when it comes to government and return to Australia uh, to open up our discussion. Uh, on uh, energy and climate this week. And Andrew, we have a government discussion paper on the emissions safeguard mechanism. Yes, so the context for this is that in 2017, the Australian government called for um, feedback um, and insights from right across Australia, not just business or corporate Australia, about the performance of the Australian policy on climate change. And Leading from that, the Australian Government's Department of the Environment and Energy has released last week a consultation paper that outlines some planned changes to what's called the safeguard mechanism. Now, this safeguard mechanism is supposed to ensure the pollution reduction brought through the government's $2.55 billion emissions reduction fund so that we don't offset them by emissions increases elsewhere in the economy. The safeguard mechanism is designed to actually ratchet down our emissions profile over time. Now, some might say that this is in fact a, a de facto emissions trading scheme or a price on carbon, uh, and it could well be uh, that ends up being the case. But this is an important um, corporate and policy mechanism to ensure that Australia achieves its um, self-imposed goals, targets under the Paris Agreement, and more broadly, um, its design to become a low carbon economy by 2050. At the same time, we saw the European Union uh, announced that there were some important changes going to happen to their emissions trading system. The EU carbon market reforms have finally cleared some hurdles after the European Council gave its backing to a post-2020 emissions trading system. Now, with that, EU carbon prices rose to their highest since 2012 after lawmakers in the EU approved these post-2020 reforms to the emissions trading scheme. The system itself um, now imposes or will impose tougher rules on thousands of companies to reduce greenhouse gas uh, gases and pay more for emissions and to fix uh, an inherent flaw in the current market system that left the cost of CO2 permits way below what was needed to encourage green energy investment. The cost to emit a tonne of CO2 in the EU, the EU rather, 
uh, has already topped $12.33 Australian equivalent in quarter one of Australia alone. And a bit of good news, one of SBA's members, Kimberly Clark, uh, announced that it won the 2018 Climate Leadership Award for Excellence in Greenhouse Gas Management category uh, in the company's second Climate Leadership Award uh, that it's had in two years. Uh, the award itself was presented by Bloomberg Philanthropies, uh, Philanthropies rather, and the Centre for Climate and Energy Solutions. At the same time, and in a separate event though, Kimberly Clark was also honoured with the Smart Energy Decisions Innovation Award, which recognises the use of innovative technologies and progressive practices among large energy power users. So it's good to see performance is rewarded in greenhouse gas reduction. And uh, turning uh, now to Europe, you mentioned Europe in that discussion then with their emissions trading program there. But uh, in the north of Europe, Norway continues to set a cracking pace when it comes to divestment, when it comes to uh, electric vehicles or getting rid of internal combustion um, uh, vehicles in that country in the years ahead. But Andrew, last week they made some uh, more uh, significant decisions when it comes to their sovereign wealth fund. They did indeed, and it's very much a case of money, money, money being green, green, green. You see, um, and we've heard for a number of years now that Norway's sovereign fund, uh, its trillion dollar sovereign fund for that matter, uh, is going to take a very green bent over time. And this week, the CEO of the Norwegian fund announced that it will actually step up its assessment of the risks posed by climate change to its investment in power producers, as well as oil firms, and basic materials companies. Now, we, we know that would include companies, for example, like BHP and Rio Tinto. In a separate announcement, though, we saw um, some important developments on uh, financing for landscapes or biodiversity. And one of those came through the Tropical Landscapes Finance Facility, which announced a landmark $95 million sustainability bond. That's quite substantial for that type of uh, bond. Now, this new green bond is described as the first corporate sustainability bond to be issued in Asia, and it was launched with the support from PNB Paribas in a bid to raise the $95 million for investment in sustainable natural rubber plantation on heavily degraded land in two Indonesian provinces. And Indonesia also became uh, or announced another first, which was the first Asian sovereign green bond issuer last week, raising $1.25 billion in a five-year green Sukaka bond. This also raised $1.75 billion in another bond issued at exactly the same time. The government is going to use these proceeds of green bonds to invest heavily in renewable energy projects, green housing and waste management. Okay, and wrapping up, let's have a chat about uh, cities and some work by our friends at CDP. Um, Andrew, you're going to talk about a report where there's some good news but bad news, and the bad news is that there's only one Australian city in this list, and that's Hobart. What's all this about? Well, Hobart's in the news this week uh, for a variety of reasons, but in this particular case, um, the, our friends and collaborators at the Carbon Disclosure Project, more commonly known as CDP, announced that uh, new data that they had generated sh showed that 102 cities around the world were now sourcing at least 70% of their re electricity for renew renewables. That's quite substantial. That's more than twice the figure from a few years ago. Now, cities that have large populations such as Seattle, Vancouver, 
Oslo, Auckland and even Nairobi are included in that list. And yet when you look at it, as you quite rightly say, Andrew, only Hobart uh, was able to be mentioned as one of those cities that was sourcing at least 70% of its electricity from renewables. The analysis uh, done by the CDP also shows that 43 cities are now running on 100% renewable energy. At the same time, in the same week, we saw Infrastructure Australia calling on the federal government to take a much greater role in driving the sustainable development of our Australian cities, warning that unplanned growth would lead to a much greater decline in the quality of life, as they outlined in their most recent report, future cities and planning for our growing population. This uh, independent body states that Australia's largest cities are now facing what they call to be a watershed moment, and I think that's right. And in a separate but related conversation, we saw that a landmark ruling in Germany could now affect not just millions of drivers in Germany, but also across the rest of the world. Um, and the announcement or the ruling came as a result of judges in a court in Leipzig ruling that officials in Leipzig can now bypass national level laws and ban the most polluting cars from city streets with immediate effect. That will have a immediate and direct effect upon um, the value of diesel cars, particularly across Germany. And I suspect it will have a ripple effect right across the planet over the next few months, let alone years. And that's this week in sustainability with analysis and insights from Andrew Peterson, Chief Executive Officer of Sustainable Business Australia. Our members receive a comprehensive weekly digital report of these and other news stories. This includes links to key insights and tools from the world's leading CEO-led organisation, the World Business Council for Sustainable Development. We welcome new members. Go to our website, sba.asn.au, for details on how to contact us. That's it for now. I'm Andrew Woodward, and we'll be back next week with another edition of This Week in Sustainability. Sustainability.